Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll have a segment about problem gambling. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has updates about COVID-19 vaccinations. An interview with a state lawmaker about legislation set to become law in three months that'll take some of the power away from a governor in Ohio in issuing health orders. Governor DeWine vetoed that bill, but the House and Senate this week overrode that veto. And Tracy will also have a segment discussing women in politics. And I'll wrap up the hour with the topic of climate change and a grassroots organization hoping to get Congress to act. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Scott Anderson, who is a problem gambling treatment coordinator for the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, March's Problem Gambling Awareness Month. How are you, Scott? Very well, and thanks for having us on to share this information. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us about the office and uh, and what you folks do. Uh, back in 2011, I guess, was when the uh, legislation passed to uh, bring casinos online in the state of Ohio. Um, up until that point, obviously, we had the lottery and bingo and horse racing and things like that. But um, actual physical casinos came online. The first one opened in 2012. Uh, now we have four casinos and seven racetracks that afford electronic gaming. Uh, so we went from zero to 11 in just under 18 months. It was a huge expansion. And with that came uh, 2% of the tax revenue from the casinos, the four casinos, uh, came to the state for treatment, prevention, education, and research into, into the problems that, that that would bring with um, people with, that have an issue with gambling. And then uh, the lottery has also been very supportive with us in uh, funding some treatment and some training and some other things, too. So. That's what I do. I, um, there's uh, three of us in the office now that uh, are a bureau within uh, the prevention bureau within mental health and addiction services, and we focus on workforce development, um, sharing um, information as we as we get it with other people, so we can do data driven decision making, you know, across the state to mitigate any harm that comes from gambling. Isn't it interesting how back in the 90s when George Voinovich was the governor, Ohio was a real battleground in in terms of whether or not casinos would come in here or not, and it was defeated several times, and then when it finally happened, it was like the floodgates opened. And, and it was interesting because, uh, you know, the racetracks were very concerned that opening the casinos would uh, damage their, their revenue. So they were given the opportunity to have, uh, they call them video lottery terminals. They'd look very much like slot machines um, in, in each racetrack. So no other state had, had gone from zero to 11 actual brick and mortar sites that quickly. So we, we set a lot of uh, precedent here in Ohio, as well as our approach to handling the issues. Uh, we did a survey back in 2012 before anything opened to see what the prevalence was and the attitudes toward gambling would be in the state before anything opened. And then we repeated that survey in 2017, five years later, and all of the risk levels doubled. Hmm. So we we went from uh, right around 5% of people that were affected to just over a, a percent, or, or 10%, I'm sorry. So it, it, it actually doubled, and that's people with low, moderate, and, and heavy risk for uh, developing a problem with gambling. So we know with accessibility and availability, there's an increase, obviously, in the harm that, that, that can be caused as well. Well, 
as we speak, of course, March Madness is going on, and people all over the country have brackets, and they they have office pools and such. It's probably one of the most busy, kind of leisurely-type gambling events that there is, I would think. And, and it, yeah, it's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that change hands, and, and, and it's very interesting in that regard that um, someone may not gamble ever in their in their year until this happens and then the office pools you know pop up and everybody's you know does those things now where the harm can come in from that is uh is getting young people kids involved uh kids you know do a bracket with with family members or something like that and they think there's no harm in that but that can start young people um you know down a path especially if they win you know, losing is bad enough, but if they win, they think, oh, this is easy. That's a great way to make money. Um, so we, we won't worry about kids and, and young people getting involved too soon. Because we know at, at an early age, if, if young people get involved, they're about four times more likely to develop a problem later in their life. I could see that, too, where if it's a, like a lottery ticket in, in a kid's stocking and it wins, even if it's only 10 bucks to a 12-year-old kid, that's a big deal, and I could see that sparking an interest in, in them. And, and, and that, that early big win, if you talk to anyone that, you know, comes into treatment for a gambling disorder, they'll remember that early big win. They'll remember that one, you know, that one time, and then they chase that feeling or they chase that win again for the rest of their, their career in gambling. What are the things that tie all this together? What is it that drives some people almost to madness doing this kind of thing, and other people... They don't even think twice about it. It's very, very similar to the other addictions, you know, substance use disorder and things like that, where um, a lot of people can do it without harm. They can, they can, you know, do it well, like, like now with March, they can do it for the brackets and never gamble again for the rest of the year. Or they could go to a casino and, and gamble. Where the problems come in is uh, loss of control, and that's both in time and money. So if you set aside $50 or whatever your entertainment budget is for that for that weekend and you go to the casino and you're going to grab a bite to eat and play and that $50 is up, and when it's up you say, okay, well, that was fun and, and go home. Where the problem comes in is if you lose that $50 and you go to the ATM machine and you try to get that $50 back and then you're up 100 and then 200 and then 400 and then all of a sudden you know, you've exhausted your bank account and seven or eight hours have gone by when you only intended to be there, you know, an hour or two. So that loss of control in both time and money is, is a big thing. Anything causes a problem, it's a problem. It doesn't have to necessarily be a huge dollar amount, but if, you know, you're supposed to be somewhere else or the, those dollars are supposed to be set aside for food or medicine or, you know, some other uh, bill that you have and you've lost it at the casino, that's, that can be a huge problem. And casinos are, are so big. There's so many machines going on that it seems like, you know, you can get into a cycle of constantly being up or down a few dollars, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. And and yet if you've got a 1,000 people in there, you know, it adds up. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, they don't build those big, beautiful buildings on the money they gave back. <laughs> <laughs> How are the casinos doing during the pandemic? You know, it was interesting. Um, they were closed for a time, and then they were uh, shut at 10 o'clock or when the curfews came. But when they first reopened, uh, the several of them set revenue records. So they went they went very much in the other direction, and that was at 30% or 50% capacity. 
and they actually were making, taking in more money. So we're sure some of that was probably boredom, all of us being stuck at home, you know, not being able to get out and then finding a way to get out. But the other kind of frightening part of that is, is that gambling affords an element of hope. Um, that's not found in other addictions. Nobody is going to, you know, smoke crack until their child support is caught up. It doesn't have a, an equation like that. But you could go to the casino and in a, in a spin or in a lucky card or in a lucky cycle, you could win money. So we all got a stimulus check. So, you know, we're all uh, uncertain about our employment or about our finances or what's going to happen. And that, that escapism of gambling is a very big lure. So it brings you to the casino with that, that element that I might be able to get myself out of this situation. Of course, the odds are against you, but that, that lure is definitely there. Right. There's no question about it. You can't win if you don't play. <laughs> right. I saw uh, on your LinkedIn account that you've been involved in addiction counseling for 20 years or more. How has it changed in that length of time? Well, I, I, um, I'm a person in recovery myself. I got um, sober in 1994, and um, I started volunteering with um, um, the jails and things like that in my community, and little by little worked my way into somebody offering me a job. Hmm. Um, went back to college and um, got my degree in, in um went to work in the prison system. Wow. So that's where I actually got exposed to gambling. There's a, a tremendous amount of gambling in, in the incarcerated population. Uh, boredom, they don't have a lot, you know, to bet, and they don't have cash. So they bet things of value, which could be a pillow, it could be food, it could be any, you know, a watch or sneakers or clothing or something like that. When they lose, they don't want to give those things up because that's like literally all they have. So there's a lot of uh, violence associated. So I started uh, learning about gambling while I was working in the prison system as a counselor so that I would understand better uh, how to treat my, my people on my caseload more holistically. So I had some experience at this when uh, the legislation passed here in Ohio for the casinos. Interesting. Talking with Scott Anderson, Problem Gambling Treatment Coordinator for the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Sports betting is going to be the next big thing to come to Ohio. Am I right about that? It's um, it's already popped up. Um, there was a legislation called PASPA, which was the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. And it was um, overturned in the Supreme Court a few years back. And that allowed states to choose whether or not they wanted to uh, legalize gambling within their states. Uh, up until that point, it was just in Nevada. So uh, over 20 states now have approved uh, sports betting. And Ohio has uh, a bill currently working its way through the process to allow sports betting here. Sports betting, obviously, is going to be a big um the big thing, uh, we we ask that there be some age verification in that, and we ask for some other protections. But uh, we'll see how that final bill, you know, works its way through. It's it's going to be very interesting because it's going to be available on your phone. So the velocity of play uh, is going to be very very high. You're going to be able to bet on uh, professional, amateur, and collegiate sports. So it's going to be pretty much all the time. And it's the technology has kind of come in an amazing way because from what I understand, it's legal in Indiana right now, but if you cross the border into Ohio, you can't get through the system. Right. It, yeah, they're very, 
very, very sophisticated on uh, location of your phone and where you're placing the bet. So you'll be able to you know, drive over the border and not be able to bet any longer. It's amazing. Uh, you know, Ohio is pretty passionate about its sports teams, so I would imagine that that's got to be kind of on your radar when it comes around. Yeah, we're watching that um, very closely to see how the final language is um, written and, and where we fit into that. Uh, like I said, we get 2% of the tax revenue from the casinos, and then we get some some uh, financial assistance from and support from the Ohio Lottery as well. So we'll see uh, where that falls with us um, as that moves forward as far as but we'll have to treat it no matter what happens, you know, whether we're named or not in that in that legislation. Talk about ways that uh, people who are addicted to gambling uh, can get help. I know that people can actually put their names on a list that can ban them from casinos, right? Yes, there's a there's a voluntary exclusion program that's available in in all of the uh, all eleven sites, and that's um, administered. Uh, collectively by both the Casino Control Commission and the Lottery Commission. So if you sign up in any of the locations in Ohio, you're banned from all 11 in Ohio. And then some of those companies, uh, Penn Gaming and so forth, if you're signed up, they will put you on their list corporately so you would be not be able to uh, go into any of their properties around the world. So what the voluntary exclusion is is there's actually steps to it. You can go to the casino and say, I really don't want to come in here. Um, you know, it would help me if I if I took some responsibility for this and banned myself. So you fill out an application, and it can be for one year, five years, or lifetime. Hmm. And then in that time frame, um, if you're caught on the property of the casino, you can be charged with criminal trespassing and any of your, um, what they call gambling instruments, whether they're vouchers or tickets or chips or so forth, would be confiscated from you. So it's, it's a big, big step. Um, and we don't recommend that as a, as a first step at all. We recommend speaking to a counselor, and we have many, many uh, counselors available. Uh, there's the 1-800 number, 1-800-589-9966. And you can call that number 24 hours a day and find help in your area. And treatment in Ohio is is free or at very little cost. So um, keep that in mind, too. But we recommend you speak to a counselor before you uh, move ahead on a voluntary exclusion. Well, we've had uh, in Ohio, of course, a a famous uh, former Ohio State Buckeye who has been mired in gambling addiction and spent many years in prison and his entire life has completely collapsed from gambling. Uh, You know, most people uh, have not gotten to that point. But but when this when all the signs are there and and they finally reached out to someone like you, how do you help them? Um, There's there's a a number of ways. Um, One is um, is. First of all, obviously admitting admitting that you need the help and, and finding someone to speak to. But we'll work you through. Um, within gambling, like I said, there's that element of hope. So there's a tremendous amount of what we call cognitive distortion. So I think that I'm luckier than you or I'm smarter than you or I have some kind of system or if I go on a certain day of the week or a certain time of the day or if I wear a certain color shirt that I can somehow influence my outcome. So we work people through those those thinking things, those actual cognitive thinking things that, you know, the, the, 
gambling is basically math. <laughs> it's, it's, there's a probability and a possibility, and the odds are not in your favor. Right. So we walk people through that, those cognitive steps. And then um, usually, uh, not always, but people gamble to escape unpleasant feelings. Uh, they might be unhappy with their employment or their relationships or their financial situation or any number of things, or even be, you know, have have a, a depressed, depressive disorder or anxiety disorder or something else, uh, some trauma history. So we work to, to treat the actual cause of why they're using gambling to escape those unpleasant feelings. So, and then there's a there's a, a tremendous correlation with substance use disorders and gambling too. So we you have to work on the entire person. Uh, gambling is is one thing. It's usually not the only thing. So oftentimes, when they are all interconnected like that, is that why it's so difficult to beat it? It, it, it definitely makes it a more complex uh, thing to treat. Um, you know, we've had. Um, if you have someone, for instance, uh, that's in an abusive relationship, there's security in the casino. So they may be going to the, to the casino for respite, for a safe place to be. So you don't want to tell them they can't go there anymore. And that's the only safe place they know. So you have to work on the on the existing problems that lead up to that. And it, it, it can be very, very difficult. Wow. So if the gambling aspect of it is, is the biggest part of uh, the issues that they're dealing with, how do they start down that road? What, what are the warning signs that people can look for in a loved one? Um, it's, you know, unfortunately, uh, lying. Um, lying about time, lying about money, um, you know, uh, items disappearing from the house. Um, you know, uh, jewelry, electronics, things like that that are unexplained. Uh, someone who disappears for hours on end that doesn't have a, a, a reason to not be present. Um, and as I said, that loss of control of the time and money is usually a big indicator. Uh, that Those are some of the things. And then, um, unfortunately, gambling disorder has a tremendously high rate of suicide. So we always look for those things, too, and folks, uh, there's a desperation involved in gambling, especially when someone gets several hundred thousand dollars in debt, or as you mentioned, Arch Leister, who built uh, a number of people out of their money. So there's some guilt and some remorse involved, and then that can lead to other problems as well. Talking with Scott Anderson, Problem Gambling Treatment Coordinator with the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. So uh, you mentioned that some of the casinos were actually ticking uh, upward during the pandemic. Once uh, things really begin to open up and most people are vaccinated and maybe when the masks finally come off, are you expecting kind of an explosion in that area? Not, it, it usually um, usually goes up and down, but we've been watching very closely, as, you know, as I said, uh, people getting a stimulus check or their income tax back, you know, their return back. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm in this period of uncertainty and I get, you know, I have a thousand bucks in my hand all of a sudden. So I know that, um, you know, I need 10,000. I don't need this thousand. This is nice, but it's not enough. So I'm tempted to go put $500, you know, on something in the casino and try to try to make money that way. So we watch for that. That's, that's a very, very dangerous uh, sort of a combination of events, uncertainty and unpleasantness and cash. So, you know, we don't, we don't look for an explosion necessarily, but this time of year we do see 
a rise in the numbers to our helpline. Yeah, I guess if anything, maybe when things start to open up, there'll be at least some more distractions without uh, that additional kick of revenue coming in. Correct. We hope. Yeah. Scott, anything else you want to add? Just that help is available in Ohio. We have a very robust workforce development program that we're very proud of here. Uh, There's many, many very highly qualified uh, people waiting to help if you need help, uh, you or a loved one have any questions or or, uh, would like to know more, you can call that 1-800-589-9966. Or you can look on beforeyoubet.org on the web. It's all no spaces, beforeyoubet.org. And there's tips on there and some, uh, some ideas for responsible gambling as well as some other resources. So you can check that out as well. Okay. Scott Anderson. Problem Gambling Treatment Coordinator with the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Thanks so much for your time today. It's interesting. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit beforeyoubet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. has taken everything and everyone I've ever loved away from me. Everything. I blew my ankle out and I got prescribed pain pills by my doctor. If making my detox public is going to help somebody, I'm all for it. I just wish I would have had a warning. Opioid dependence can happen after just five days. Know the truth. Spread the truth. A message from Truth, the Ad Council, and ONDCP. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Sweet strawberry icing. You were strolling along in goodwill when just past that mid-century side table and denim jacket you spotted them, nestled in their display case. Miniature donut earrings. Oh, yes! Yes! Your favorite half breakfast pastry, half all day dessert food, made into your favorite form of ear candy. Oh my! Those bejeweled sprinkles have satisfied some unknown hunger within you. Shh! Do you smell that? That's the sugary scent of shopping success. For this is goodwill. And with every item you buy, you fund local job training and more. So go forth. Bring home those donut earrings. And bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project. So before you do this or this... Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. 
This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. What consequences will state rep Larry Householder face after being charged in a bribery scheme? We'll hear what the Ohio House Speaker has to say about it. And soon, Ohioans 16 and older can get the COVID-19 vaccine, the state's vaccine rollout, and a look at how demand is matching with supply. And the bill that would limit the governor's power. We are going to hear from a lawmaker behind that piece of legislation. And we do thank you for joining us for Face the State today. I'm Tracy Townsend. The big question in Ohio politics this morning. What's next for Representative Larry Householder? Republican leaders in the Ohio House held a caucus meeting to talk about whether to bring a motion to the House floor to expel Republican Larry Householder. That motion didn't happen. Householder is charged in connection to a $60 million bribery scheme to save two power plants. And in regards to householder, Speaker Bob Cup says he can't comment on the case. I have called on him uh, repeatedly and consistently that he should re- voluntarily resign. That would be the honorable thing to do. Now, Cup would not comment on any potential next step, citing a longstanding policy about not talking about internal caucus communications. He says for Householder to resign would be the best thing for the chamber. Four others also charged in the bailout bribery scheme. One of those people was found in Florida dead. Both the Collier County Medical Examiner and the Sheriff's Office confirmed that Neil Clark was found dead by a passerby in the Naples, Florida area. Clark's wife reported they were having financial issues. Deputies also recovered a gun at the scene. Clark's attorneys said his death was a tragic loss and added that he thought his client might eventually be acquitted of the federal charge against him. Soon, every Ohioan who's 16 and older will be able to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Governor Mike DeWine announced the big jump in the rollout. A few days ago, eligibility opened up to anyone 40 and older and those with cancer, chronic kidney disease, COPD, heart disease and obesity. On March 29th, anyone can get the shot is allowed to get the shot. The problem comes with getting an appointment. 10TV's Angelo Rygard looks at where the state supply of doses stands. By March 29th, all Ohioans over the age of 16 will be eligible to get a COVID-19 vaccine. That's the upside. The downside? Undoubtedly, there are going to be times when people go to sign up and they have to wait Uh, you know, a little longer to get a spot in line. The state's top doctor says Ohio's vaccine supply is growing with expanding eligibility. The hope is with more people eligible, more people will roll up their sleeves. We're having a hard time filling those appointments. And I think this will just allow us to fill the appointments quickly, get the vaccine out as quick as we can and get more people vaccinated. In Licking County, about 150,000 residents will be eligible for vaccines by the end of the month. So far, the county has given out about 37,000. we got a ways to go. If everybody wants it, but we're prepared, we're ready, and we're ready to give it to whoever needs it. At Columbus Public Health, they've provided about 65,000 vaccines so far. I think there are multiple opportunities for people to get the vaccine in our community now, many more than there were, say, six weeks ago. But even so, you're likely to have to wait. Will everyone who's eligible be able to get the vaccine during that first week that they're eligible? 
No. Some places are letting you book your vaccine appointment ahead of when you're eligible. Others are not. You have to just check and see. Either way, most places aren't booking people too far in advance. The last thing I want to do is schedule a 1,000 people then have to call them all and say, sorry, we don't have vaccine for you. Adults like to ask, will I be able to pick my vaccine? That also depends. Most places tend to get one brand more than others. You can look around for the one you want, but does it really matter? As a doctor, I am very supportive of uh any Ohioan choosing any of these three vaccines, because from my point of view, they all get the job done. Reporting in Columbus, Angela Rygard, 10 TV News. Mass vaccination sites are being used all over the state to help get people vaccinated. 10 TV's Olivia Eugenio spoke with a few people who rolled up their sleeves. More than 12,500 people in just four days. It sounds like a lot. Actually, it was pretty smooth. Uh, it was very organized. Um, got in, got out. John Williams was just one of the thousands to get the first dose of his vaccine. It's one step away from protecting others, uh, especially seniors and uh, people I'm in contact with on a daily basis. He, along with Beth Donaldson, rolled up their sleeves to help protect themselves as well as others. I'm very excited. I miss my friends. Is that what that means? This means to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Zoom calls are good, but hugs are better. Kroger is administering the vaccine. It is a mass effort. It's all hands on deck. We have anywhere from uh, 50 to 60 Kroger pharmacists completing registration and vaccination. Uh, and it's really a group effort. Kroger says just keep checking back. But we do encourage people to check the website back frequently in order to see if anyone's had cancellations. We will put those appointments in the remaining days. Olivia Eugenio, 10TV News. There are several other mass vaccination sites open across the state. Those will be coming soon. If you'd like to sign up for one of those, we are going to show you how to do that. Just go to our website, 10tv.com. Now, when it comes to vaccinating minors, parents have a choice. Kids need their parents' permission to get the shot. There are a few states that do allow exceptions for some minors, but our state is not one of them. However, parents don't necessarily need to be in the room with their kids during their appointment. A parent does not need to be present at the time of vaccination, but a signature is required, providing that par uh, parental permission. And then our pharmacists are taking additional steps to ensure the permission is valid. And again, 16 and 17 year olds become eligible in Ohio for the COVID-19 vaccine on March 29th. To find out how your county is distributing the vaccine, text the word vaccine to 614-460-3345 and you'll get the information sent straight to your phone. We expected to get more guidance this week from Governor DeWine about gatherings like proms, graduations, but he said there's not much to say besides keep limiting them. And that's because the governor says he needs to make decisions based off the numbers and the science. He knows last year it was difficult for many school districts across the state not being able to have proms and graduations in the traditional sense. As for any guidance he might give on these types of gatherings, he says it comes to no surprise. It's much of the same as what he's been talking about over the past year. Today, the advice is and would be wear a mask. Everybody needs to wear a mask. Uh, if you're talking about graduation, you can figure out how to do it outside. It's obviously going to be safer outside than inside. But, um, you know, try to keep the try to keep the distancing and just pr follow all the practices, frankly, that we have learned in the last year. 
Now, the good news is here that the governor says unless something drastic happens and our numbers significantly, significantly, excuse me, get much worse, events like prom and graduation should be able to take place. So there's some hope in that. Graduation will look more traditional for the Ohio State University. The school announced plans for in-person spring commencement at Ohio Stadium. However, because we are still in a pandemic, the ceremony will be modified. Two guests can accompany each graduate and social distancing will be observed. This will be Ohio State's first non-virtual commencement since late 2019. Ohio lawmakers want to change graduation requirements for high school seniors. They passed House Bill 67. The bill allows juniors and seniors to sub their end-of-year grades for the statewide final exams. The bill also waives the American history exam requirement. It allows schools to spend extra time administering all federally required tests and exempts homeschool kids from yearly evaluations. New proposed legislation targets Ohio's mask mandate. State Rep. Jenna Powell recently introduced it. It would end the mandate and stop Governor Mike DeWine from issuing another one unless the General Assembly approves. Two dozen other Republicans have signed on as co-sponsors of this bill. Governor DeWine has already said he plans to veto it if it passes. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wounds? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My, my son shot his brother. I don't know Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Not on my watch, our military service members say, as they volunteer to serve. As they move out, stand firm, and take fire. So not on our watch, we say, to the severely ill or injured veterans who can't get the care they deserve to live full and independent lives, even when there's no government funding or a nursing home seems like the only option. We won't leave one warrior behind. Not on our watch. Join us at findwwp.org. People join Walk MS to raise awareness and funds that change the world for everyone affected by multiple sclerosis. Walk MS brings communities together, creating teams with friends, loved ones, and coworkers to rally around those we care about and end MS forever. Together, we can change the world for people with MS. Register today at walkms.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Senate Bill 22 restricts 
the ability of a governor to issue health orders. It was passed in the General Assembly, then vetoed by Governor DeWine. But this past week, the House and Senate overrode that veto, so it will become law. More on this as we go back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV, with a Kevin Landers interview with State Representative Scott Wiggum, who is a Republican from Worcester. That'll be followed by an interview with Shiloh Todorov as Tracy has a discussion about women in politics. The political fight over health orders has been going on since the very start of the pandemic, and it continues with Senate Bill 22, which would allow lawmakers to strike any public health orders with which they disagree. 10TV's Kevin Landers talked with one of the lawmakers behind the bill. There's a lot of concern that this bill is actually going to harm Ohioans, that it will prevent the governor from making decisions that need to be made immediately rather than have them debated in front of uh, the, the legislature. What are your thoughts about that? Well, that, that criticism is unfounded because that's not in the bill. The governor still has full authority to do any order or rule that the governor so chooses. Any governor in the future, a governor could have a, a rule saying uh, guns are a health epidemic and I'm coming up to get your guns. You might say it's unconstitutional, but then there's been questions about constitutionality in this past year. The point is, is that the governor has the ability to do rule and order making authority, okay, emergency rules. This puts in a process now that we can we can take a look at that from the legislature. The legislature over the past hundred years has given the governor that authority to do these certain things, and now we're putting guardrails in those. After we've seen how that authority has been used without the Ohio legislature in the last year. Is this unconstitutional? No, and the reason is, is we gave the governor the power, the governor's office, the executive branch, the power and authority to put forward, okay, these orders and rules. We could take them away, completely, completely take them away with a, with a bill. Instead of doing that, we're saying, listen, we understand the need for quick action by the governor on certain issues. We also understand the need for the legislature to get involved, okay, and review this in a transparent process, review these orders, and decide whether we need to go forward with them or whether they become overtly political or whether they're dangerous or whether they're unconstitutional. We get to make all those types of decisions as a legislator. We gave him that power. So that so the argument is is that we have to do every we have to stop every single order by the Department of Director by the Director of the Department of Health through a law? No. We had a law that gave the director those powers. Now we're putting guardrails. We're saying you have these powers, Governor, you have these powers, uh, Director of Department of Health, and now we're encapsulating them in the one, two, and three. Oh, down here at ten, we may rescind them with a concurrent resolution. It goes into the law. That's why we have to have we have to have sixty votes to make this law so we can come back and do concurrent resolutions. And that's why I heard I heard somebody say, Well, we could do concurrent concurrent resolutions now. No, because there's nothing in the law that says that we can stop a rule. There's nothing in the law that says we can stop a rule or uh, an emergency rule or an order by concurrent resolution. With this, SB 22, there will be. Making women shine bright in political leadership. Women in political leadership are making significant gains from the vice president of the United States to township trustee boards. Political Action Committee the Matriot says there's room to make that tent wider. I talked with their development director this week about their nonpartisan strategy to get more women in governing ranks at all levels, even in the current partisan political climate. It feels like a concept that 
on one hand is obvious and on the other needed to be identified and needed to be raised up, right? So I think that like me, a lot of people found the Matriots and decided that that would be their first reason to write a check in politics. But for many, many more people, they've been writing checks for a very long time and maybe they've even been very dedicated to one party or the other. But this concept of focusing on women in a shared values sort of way has really moved people to to make the pie bigger, not to make decisions, but to, to give in both ways. What is it about um, the nonpartisan part of this? I mean, I think we're in a time we're coming out of, we may still be in a time where everything is very partisan, but I'm old enough to remember when you know, people in politics were friendly to each other because they were working together to get to something. Exactly. And I grew up in Nebraska. I think about like um, Bob Kerry was a, a Republican and Ben Nelson was a Democrat. And I am not aware that they disagreed about much, right, as they were serving in the Senate. Um, so, yes, this is an interesting moment to be trying to be a nonpartisan organization that's building the big tent in the middle. But at the same time, somebody has to focus on it, right? If there, if there are only opportunities to be involved in politics at the margins, then the margins are going to get louder and louder and stronger and stronger. We have to be able to not just find, but make and invest in places where some dialogue can happen again, where there is such a thing as a centrist. And so I think that um, it's not going to be a movement that can fix what's happened over the last four to 40 years, depending on how you think about when this discord began, right? But um, it's a place to start. And I think uh, it's necessary to think about it as a long game. And how do you do that in a state such as Ohio, which it's, according to the last uh, presidential election, is very red. So there's already a point of view in this state. Yeah, and I think... um, I have a lot of high hopes about what this state might really be if redistricting goes in the direction of uh, truly fair districts this year. I think that um, what you see happening in voter trends and what you see happening at the state house or who we're sending to Washington, right, is the result in part of the way we draw those political maps. And so the opportunity in 2021 to redraw them may give us uh, something that looks a little bit more purple, which was our reputation for a very long time, right? We were a battleground state. Um, But I think to your question about how it affects the movement of the Matriots, um, again, I think this is the opportunity to think about finding moderation, about building places where in particular women who tend to collaborate more with the other party anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, can come together under a shared values um, system and really begin to move policy forward and think harder about what it is that their individual constituents need, whether it's in a school board seat, right, or it's at the county attorney level, I think there's something to the very grassroots, very local nature of what the Matriots is really focused on that can allow people to think, well, what's happening in my backyard as opposed to 
what is happening in Washington and the disconnect that you sometimes feel. All right. So here is some of the success the Matriots is celebrating from the years 2018 to 2020, nearly 180 general election endorsements, a 58% win rate and 161 women endorsed, some twice, and 99 wins. There's still another year to go until the fight for Senator Rob Portman's seat hits full speed. And there's already a front runner in the Democratic Party, but this person hasn't even officially announced that she's running. I'm talking about former Ohio Department of Health Director Dr. Amy Acton. This week, public policy polling released a new poll focused on the race for Portman's seat. It showed Acton has the highest favorability of potential Democratic candidates, with 64% of Ohio Democratic primary voters viewing her favorably. No Democratic candidates have officially thrown their hat into the ring for Portman's seat, but several people have mentioned that they are considering a run, and that includes Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley, Franklin County Commissioner Kevin Boyce, Franklin County Recorder Danny O'Connor, and State Representative Amelia Sykes. Former Ohio Treasurer Josh Mandel and former Ohio Republican Party head James Timken are two Republicans who already announced that they will run. Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer vaccines are all available in the United States. The AstraZeneca vaccine could soon be approved in our country, but there are some concerns in other parts of the world about this vaccine and blood clots. The European Union's Drug Regulatory Agency announced that benefits outweigh the possible risks. More than a dozen nations stopped using it. Jason Puckett looks at why AstraZeneca's vaccine is taking some criticism. We're talking about the AstraZeneca vaccine for COVID-19 and reports that countries have stopped administering it because of blood clots. Why are we talking about this? Well, dozens of articles and social media posts question whether there's a link between the AstraZeneca vaccine and blood clots in recipients. This can create fear, so let's verify. Have countries stopped administering the AstraZeneca vaccine and what does that mean for us? Our main sources for this verify are the World Health Organization, the European Medicines Agency, or EMA, and the CDC. So let's start with what we do know. The European Medicines Agency reports 30 cases of blood clots forming in people who received the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's led five countries, Denmark, France, Germany, Ireland, and Italy, to put a temporary pause on administering the AstraZeneca vaccine. So yes, five countries have temporarily stopped giving out this AstraZeneca vaccine. But if you stop there, you're missing a big part of the story. While the EMA acknowledges the 30 cases, they point out that's 30 cases out of nearly 5 million people who received the vaccine. They say, quote, there is currently no indication that vaccination has caused these conditions. The vaccine's benefits continue to outweigh its risks and the vaccine can continue to be administered while investigation is ongoing. So what does this mean for us? Well, Right now, not much. The AstraZeneca vaccine is still in phase three trials here in the U.S. and hasn't been approved for distribution. But simply, you can't even get one of these vaccines in the U.S. right now. Bottom line, yes, at least five countries have stopped administering the AstraZeneca vaccine. That's verified. The question of whether the vaccines are actually linked to these blood clots is still unanswered. But we do know the AstraZeneca vaccine has not been approved in the U.S. at this point. With your Verify, I'm Jason Puckett. And I contacted the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center about the AstraZeneca vaccine and the side effects. You'll recall they are running a trial there. They provided a statement that says enrollment in the AstraZeneca clinical trial at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center was completed in January with monitoring of patients continuing over the next two years. Ohio State has not reported any cases of trial patients with blood clots.
Thank you so much for being with us here today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Okay, so maybe you didn't finish or broke your New Year's resolution to get to the gym or start that project you had kept on the back burner since, well, okay, the dawn of time. I get it. That's okay. But you know, there's one thing you can do to get back that inspiration, that can-do spirit. Perhaps you or someone you know has a vehicle that they don't drive anymore. Why not consider donating it to the National Federation of the Blind? All you have to do is call 866-282-7327. That's 866-282-7327. You can also log online to nfb.org and click donate. And maybe you know someone that's blind. You can reach out to nfb at nfb.org. That's nfb at nfb.org. So what do you have to lose? You have everything to gain by helping someone in need like your motivation oh and a tax deduction so why not get started today and remember charity is only a phone call away donors choose support a classroom build a future did you know that every year public school teachers spend nearly five hundred dollars of their own money for student supplies let's do the math that comes out to over 1.2 billion dollars a year And that's just not right. At Donors Choose, we want students and teachers to have the tools they need for a great education. And now, more than ever, they need your help. Here's what you can do. Go to DonorsChoose.org and choose from teachers' requests that support reading, math, science, history, and more. Once a request is funded, we'll take care of shipping everything directly to the teacher. It's that easy. You'll receive thank you letters and photos from students and teachers and a report of how every dollar was spent. Teachers' needs have never been greater. Learn more at DonorsChoose.org. Donors Choose. Support a classroom. Build a future. Hey, this is Kevin Love from the Cleveland Cavaliers. At times, life can feel scary, which can leave us hurting and feeling overwhelmed with anxiety. Now, more than ever, We need to be kind to ourselves, kind to our mental health, and find some time and space in these tough times. Mindfulness is something that's helped me, and I hope it can help you too. My nonprofit is partnering with Headspace to offer you free content that can ease those feelings of anxiety. It's as easy to do as this. Take a big, deep breath, in through the nose, out through the mouth, in, and out. Just breathing. In and out. Head to kevinlovefund.org slash headspace and be kind to your mind. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me from uh, Indiana is Topher Anderson, who is a member of the Citizens Climate Lobby. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what the Citizens Climate Lobby is. Yeah, so the Citizens Climate Lobby is a national grassroots organization that just empowers everyday citizens like me uh, to engage in democracy. We're really pushing Congress to take big national action on climate change. 
Uh, we have over 180,000 supporters with 480 chapters across the U.S. And this week, we are meeting with our elected officials on both sides of the aisle and asking them to pass a national carbon price. We want everyone, like Republicans and Democrats, to work together on an effective climate solution. Does the group lean politically one way or the other? So we are uh, firmly committed to nonpartisanship and working on both sides of the aisle. We think, um, you know, this isn't going to happen long term unless it's something that happens on both sides of the aisle. And as far as uh, connections in Ohio, uh, what what sort of activity do you have in Ohio, and, and who are you talking to Ohio-related in Washington? Yeah, so we have um, 3,500 supporters in Ohio, and on a big lobbying push like this, we're really aiming to meet every member of Congress from their congressional districts in Ohio. So it's going to be constituents meeting with their own members of Congress uh, and bringing this message. What has the pandemic done in terms of, you know, the, the whole world activity has dropped dramatically, uh, airline flights down dramatically for a year. Has that helped the climate uh, at all in, a, in a, a meaningful way? Yeah, it definitely has in the short term. You know, in this one year, we've seen a huge dip in emissions. But uh, at the same time, it also shows us it's just not going to be enough. I mean, climate instability is becoming a real problem across decades. Um, and one good year isn't going to really change that. So what are the sorts of issues that you'll be talking about? Yeah, so uh, we're really bringing two big messages. Uh, the first one is that, I mean, climate instability is becoming a real problem in the Midwest. Um, you know, we've had record flooding. We've had unpredictable growing seasons for our farmers. Our summers are getting hotter. And we know that's not going to change unless we cut carbon pollution. And then we're talking about the best way to do that is with a carbon price. And I don't mean cap and trade, I know that doesn't work, but we're talking about like a carbon tax or a carbon fee. And that's what I'm bringing to my member of Congress. And so how would that be imposed and on who would it be imposed? Yeah, great question. Um, so the best version that we're pushing for is called a carbon fee and dividend. So you put a price on carbon that companies pay for, and then that money is uh, put into a pot and returned to every American citizen as a dividend. So are we talking about power companies or what? Yeah, so we're talking about power companies. We're talking about basically whenever um, fossil fuels enter our economy, whether that be through the mine, the port, or the well, um, the price is imposed then, and that's the only place it's imposed. And then it can work its way through the economy as businesses um, decide to reprice anything. And that's why we have the dividend, is to protect any Americans from... Um, rising energy costs. Talking with Topher Anderson, who's a member of the Citizens Climate Lobby. You know, in recent uh, years, we've had upticks. You mentioned the flooding. Uh, there's also been droughts and wildfires, tropical storms that are tending more often now to just sit in one area, such as Houston, and just flood it. H has it changed the minds of some people over the years who were initially against any talk of climate change? I think it really has. I mean, I'm a young conservative Catholic. And, you know, as long as I've been involved with this, I've really been beating this drum of if there's no conflict between caring for our creation and being conservative. Um, and as you mentioned, this is uh, nationally what young conservatives feel. Um, but I think the reason that there's been so much resistance, and, and this gets viewed as a liberal issue, is because our Republican elected officials 
for a long time haven't brought conservative values to bear on the solution. And by conservative values, I mean um, you know, small government, trust in efficient markets, uh, belief in American ingenuity. And that's what I think uh, we need at the table. And so that's what we're meeting with our members of Congress about and asking them to bring. Texas has had a number of shakeups in recent years, and including just a, a month or so ago with the cold wave down there that caused the power outages. Absolutely. What's the attitude when you, uh, when your group meets with lawmakers in Washington? What is the attitude of the lawmakers as they speak with you? Well, that's going to vary a lot, lawmaker to lawmaker. Um, the first thing we bring every time we meet with a member of Congress is just gratitude for the work that they're doing, um, regardless of their place on the political spectrum. Um, and, you know, the big thing is, is citizens, this, this democracy is really accessible to us. And so, um, you know, my attitude and our attitude when we're approaching is that our voice as citizens is vital to democracy working on this solution. Uh, it can't work unless I'm bringing my voice and they can't represent me if I don't ask them to. We're coming with, with gratitude um, and also just asking them to represent us as, as our right. If you talk to one who is obviously not on the same page with you, who thinks that all this is blown out of proportion, some you know talk about how back in the 70s uh, scientists thought we were headed for an ice age, and now it's the opposite of that. So if you run into a lawmaker that has that sort of an attitude, how do you talk to them? Do you, do you tell them, do you give them warnings about rising oceans, or, or what is your message to them? Yeah, so it comes down to the fact that if a representative is in my district, we have way more in common than we do opposed. So we can always look first for what we have in common. It can be a, a love of our creation, of our, of our state parks, of um, a concern for our farmers. Then we find that common ground first, and then we can work from there. We can decide... Um, you know, what it would take to protect them. And at the end of the day, it always leads back to the fact that climate is a part of that conversation. Um, climate is going to affect any issue and really any concern that we have. And it's vital that as constituents, we're bringing our unique stories to that. Just a moment or so to go here with Topher Anderson, member of Citizens Climate Lobby. Well, it's, I'm, I'm curious, too. You mentioned being a, a conservative Catholic. D do you bring up religion at all with some of these folks? Because, you know, you've got some who are conservative and, and religious who take the attitude that, you know, the Lord will take care of the earth and uh, man isn't so much in control of that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm absolutely bringing that conversation up um, with my members of Congress. Uh, for me... Uh, it was the writing of Pope Francis that really brought me to the climate movement and that recognition of if we're going to care for our creation, it has to lead to a care for our climate. Those are tied together. And this view of, you know, it will just get fixed automatically isn't in line with what our, our faith tells us. You know, we understand ourselves as stewards of the earth. And so being a steward means being a good steward. Um, and climate is a part of that. Interesting. Uh, Topher, if folks want more information about what you're trying to do, uh, do you recommend a website? Yeah, they can go to citizensclimatelobby.org or they can find Citizens Climate Lobby on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Okay, excellent. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, I just want to add that if, you know, you're a citizen in Ohio and you feel like I do, uh, like you want your voice heard in this conversation, I really urge you to check out Citizens Climate Lobby and get involved. 
Okay. Topher Anderson with Citizens Climate Lobby. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. This is Columbus Perspective, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.